On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Once again, a pretty varied uh, selection of front page stories across the Sunday press today. Uh, we'll start with the Sunday Times. Uh, main story there, tax credits to ease rental crisis. Landlords and tenants could both be given a tax credit in next month's budget as the Department of Housing studies ways to ease the rental crisis. This is after the property listings website daft.ie reported last week that rents rose by the fastest rate on record in the second quarter, while the number of homes available to rent has reached an all-time low. Ministers are considering a belated attempt to keep individual landlords in the rental market. One option being studied by the Housing Department is to give a tax credit to individual landlords who offer a longer term lease. If a landlord agrees to a five or ten year lease, for example, giving extended security to tenants, they will receive a tax tax credit based on that term. But aware of the political sensitivities attached to giving tax breaks to landlords, the department is also looking at how it could help renters at the same time. Sources in the department say a tax credit for tenants is also on the table, although negotiations are at an early stage. Uh, One thing which is just worth bearing in mind about all of this is that the government says that it has around one billion euro to spend on tax measures uh, in the budget at the end of September and if they want to roll over the extended VAT cut on household energy or the excise cuts on petrol and diesel an awful lot of that money is gobbled up very quickly without having actually achieved anything new so it is worth bearing in mind that a lot of these things are being considered but there may not actually be very much money to pay for all of it uh, also on the front page of the Sunday Times, a lone wolf who stabbed the author Salman Rushdie more than a dozen times as he was due to deliver a speech about freedom of expression has been charged with attempted murder. US officials yesterday named Rushdie's attacker as Hadi Matar, age 24, as they examined the motive of the attack, which happened at an event in upstate New York on Friday. Uh, and also on the Sunday Times, around 200 million euro has been spent by the government on the Ukraine refugee crisis so far, estimates indicating that the full year cost could reach 1 billion euro. Just over 44,000 refugees have so far arrived in Ireland, at least 33,500 have sought accommodation provided by the state, around 90% of those placed in serviced accommodation such as hotels and B&Bs and hostels. 7% are in rooms offered by the public. The remainder are in what is called emergency accommodation. That's the Sunday Times. The Business Post... Uh, Three fascinating stories on the front page of the Business Post today. Um, the first one, the Green Party is willing to accept an extension to the current excise uh, duty cuts on petrol and diesel, as just mentioned, um, in exchange for a budget package that includes an extension of cheaper public transport fares and a lower VAT rate on bicycles. I'd forgotten about the, tr- the public transport fares only being uh, a temporary measure as well. That also then costs more money if you want to roll it over. Um, as part of a wider cost of living package being prepared for budget 2023, the party is also pushing for, uh, for the scrapping of VAT on retrofitting materials and an increase in planning uh, planning staff to speed up wind farm construction. A lower VAT rate on bikes would also include e-bikes, which the Greens have described as game changers. All of this comes amid some discomfort within the party at the significant supports being funneled towards carbon-intensive energy sources. Uh, also, other measures being considered in the, in the budget, according to the Business Post, include a €15 uh, euro, uh, per, per week increase in welfare and pension rates, a widening of tax bans and a range of one-off initiatives to help ease the cost of uh, living burden in advance of next year. Um, the other two stories on the Business Post are, are fascinating. One is about a proposal to reduce speed limits on Irish roads, which was contained uh, within the programme for government that it will be examined as part of a way uh, to examine the climate impact of reducing speed limits uh, on motorways, for example. So the Greens were thinking about maybe reducing the speed limit on motorways from 120 kilometres per hour to 110. And that might be a way of reducing emissions uh, as well as uh, making some measures on road safety. Uh, but the proposal to reduce speed limits on Irish roads would have only a limited impact on greenhouse gas emissions and could result in an additional 35 deaths every year, a report prepared by Transport Infrastructure Ireland has said. Um, that seems counterintuitive to me. I would have thought that lower speeds would naturally mean uh, fewer road deaths, but, but there you have it. I'm sure they have a more sophisticated understanding of how all this works. Uh, the other story in the Business Post 
which is interesting and we will get back to this in the next hour when we're discussing what's in today's papers big tech firms in Dublin are preparing to sublet swathes of their office space later this year because they've become surplus to requirements according to industry sources new work from home policies hiring freezes in offices and wider tech sector layoffs have overhauled the activity of tech firms in the Dublin office market according to commercial estate agents and developers the business post has learned that one commercial property sector consultancy in Dublin is now assisting several large tech sector clients to sublet some of the office space which they no longer require but are committed to through long-term leases. So for those of us who are familiar with how a lot of uh, certain parts of Dublin are now effectively the sole preserve of uh, large uh, technology firms who have taken out huge long-term leases in their properties uh, on the presumption of being there till kingdom come effectively, uh, maybe the events of the last couple of years have required them to, to reassess that somewhat. Uh, the Independent Sunday Independent today uh, Health Minister Stephen Donnelly has agreed to an urgent request to meet doctors from the National Gender Service over concerns about the HSE's ongoing use of the UK's Tavistock Clinic for Irish children with gender identity issues this is Mark Tighe following on uh, from his own reporting last Sunday four senior doctors at the NGS which deals with patients over 17 wrote to Donnelly on Thursday um, after Siobhan Ivrian who's the HSE's national lead in integrated care said the HSE was going to continue to use the Gender Identity Development Service at Davis, uh, Tavistock despite a critical report uh, recently in which it's going to lead to that Tavistock clinic being shut down uh, sometime next year. Um, and also on the front page of the Sindo, the government is to make an improved pay offer to public sector unions ahead of the budget next month. Michael McGrath confirms to the Sunday Independent that they are prepared to make a move but warned that pay increases will not be able to match record levels of inflation. Uh, he's basically encouraging unions to acknowledge that there's going to be other measures in the budget to deal with cost of living and that their own pay packets isn't the only way to deal with it. Uh, and finally for now, the Irish Mail on Sunday Air Grid didn't buy emergency electricity when told to uh, the state agency responsible for ensuring that there's enough electricity to power the country failed to buy enough backup energy despite being ordered by the regulator to secure emergency supplies according to the Irish Mail on Sunday utility company Air Grid issued two amber alerts this week advising householders that about potential outages blaming low winds and maintenance work at power plants but behind the scenes there have been breakdowns and failures at some of the country's older fossil fuel plants which up until now have ensured that there is enough electricity to keep the lights on uh, so that is the uh, somewhat downbeat front page uh, in the Irish Mail on Sunday and that is your tour of the front pages of today's papers we're joined in the studio uh, by Mick Clifford special correspondent at the Irish Examiner and by Aoife Barry assistant news editor uh, at the journal.ie uh, good morning to you both Mick I'll start with yourself um, it is very difficult not to, to look at um, all those front pages and even when you're going through them all in passing and you say oh that'll cost money That'll cost money. That'll cost money. Um, Obviously, the budget is now no longer uh, coming over the horizon. The budget is now in the government's full vision. It's going to be announced in about five or six weeks. And there's an awful lot of kites being flown and not a huge amount of money to pay for it all. Huge number, Gavin, right across. I mean, on one level, it's a reflection of uh, the issues that are out there and the requirement to put money into the economy, particularly into the pockets of those who are most affected by the cost of living crisis. But you also have political considerations. Um... Fine Gael trying to uh, carve out a place for themselves with the likes of this uh, 30% tax mm. rate and appealing to those whose primary um, focus is on tax cuts and you have the Greens with their uh, little corner as well. One thing that leaped out at me from the the lead story in the Business Post uh, in which there's huge detail in the Business Post about mm-hmm. the forthcoming budget I don't think we need any budget <laughs> yeah, but, right. yeah. But, but, but yeah absolutely it's one of those things actually where every other reporter now who's going to be on the budget beat including me for the next six weeks is going to wonder what there is left to get yeah, oh, yeah, so much yeah. of it have already been vented absolutely yeah. fair play it's great work by Michael Brennan but one thing that leaps out is the, the fact that a, 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 an alleged concession to the Greens or, or, or a a, a bargaining tool with the Greens mm. is the increased staff for planning for offshore wind. Now, 
I was under the impression that offshore wind was something that could make us apparently the Saudi Arabia of renewables, etc. And we're reduced to this is a green thing. Mm. rather than mm. something that's massively apart from being in the national interest being absolutely vital if we have any chance whatsoever mm. of reaching the targets for climate change yet it's being here uh, portrayed as a kind of a bargaining chip yeah, and I'm sure like, Michael it, is portraying it, it, it properly no, but as, as I'm, I'm, I'm sure government. the reporting is correct but yeah it's kind of bizarre to think that's something that they'd have to negotiate for yeah, because ab- I mean if you talk to, talk to certain junior ministers and they'll talk to you until you turn blue in the face and until the cows come home about the Maritime Planning Act that they passed recently which is going to allow us to become the Saudi Arabia of offshore wind you would think in the middle of all of that that they had thought to recruit enough planning staff to make it all work not only that talk to anybody in the industry and they will tell you the absolute and unbelievable frustration at the loopholes they have to get through to pass the most the smallest aspects of planning there at the moment and one of the key things I keep hearing from people in that industry is in terms of resources the specifics of foreshore licence all that and they're just not there and now to, to hear that this is something that the two big parties are saying to the Greens will give you a bit of that mm. I mean it's it's off the Richter scale as far as I'm concerned uh, Aoife Barry as you said a lot of kites being flown any kites catching your eye in today's papers <laughs> well lovely colourful kites so yeah I, I always kind of always find it interesting in the run up to the budget how, like you're saying how many things are reported before the day and it does get to the stage mm. like when you're there in the day reporting on, on it when they make their, their speeches like yeah like we have we have nearly everything there's very little surprise or yeah. it feels like f- seven or eight years ago you're like oh what are they going to say yeah. in the budget yeah, well, it's but nearly now, more of a case actually that doesn't what doesn't make the cut Complete, what exactly does, yeah. it's more like cutting out what the, what the kite, what kites couldn't be flown cutting mm. the strings of the kites um, yeah I, I was kind of, I was kind of finding it interesting comparing the like one off stuff that they were mentioning compared to the stuff that you know will make like a long term kind of difference mm. to people so you know it, it's all well and good to say like we're going to double the child benefit payment before Christmas from 140 uh, to 280 for a one-off, which I'm sure will really help some people mm. um, coming up to Christmas. Such an expensive uh, time for people, um, and then also possibly um, giving a sorry giving a second energy credit as well to household utility bills, which obviously a lot of us are really eagerly awaiting because those bills, those numbers again bigger every month. Um, but those are one-off things. I mean, the fact that you're, they're going to have to give a second one of those energy credits just shows that actually we need something mm. more than just a one-off thing to be done to help people I mean it's one of those things everybody's talking about how bad in a kind of almost a jokey way sharing like how bad their electricity bills are mm. 200 euros is not going to make much of a difference so no. how do they balance those ideas obviously like you're saying you know the coffers can only stretch yeah. so far but what helps people on a long term basis versus what's like I will help you here but like yeah. you know deal with it the rest of the, the year lads the, you know there's, there's two things about that household energy credit which I think are, are worth reflecting on the first is that um, when it was done at the start of this year it was announced at the tail end of last year yeah. and, and it was funded through it was basically we were coming out of 2021 we've been in lockdown for so much of that year that uh, the Department of Environment had set aside a load of money for domestic retrofitting and hadn't been able to do it because the country had been locked down from January till April and so the money was just there and they said right but sure let's use the money let's do it as a nice thing let's just you know it's it's a domestic energy thing let's yeah. just put it as a credit towards bills it took a while to legislate for but it was intended as we've got spare money let's just do this yeah. nice thing and now 12 months on it has become an absolute bedrock this prerequisite of what we need to be able to do to get by in the course of a tough winter to come and the other thing is that wasn't it criticised as being too universal that a lot of people were saying mm. you know this is too equal for everyone that you yeah. like putting 200 euro or, or 191 euro I think as it ended up becoming because of VAT that it's not targeted enough that, that yeah. it, it is too egalitarian and that it helps some people who don't need the help and yeah. they're going to do it again and yeah that's the thing and there obviously hasn't been a thought about how maybe to balance that I mean I don't know maybe they're they're thinking well are we going to have to like means test it or like how do we like how do we end up putting something into play if we do want to change the amount depending on how much people earn and maybe it's too much of a pain 
in the bum to actually mm. do that and maybe it's easier to say well we'll give everybody a credit and also you know it shows that we're doing something about it, it shows you recognise people are paying this money but you're right I mean I can afford to pay the bills no problem they might be in, they might be annoying they are certainly you know pinching mm. people but that might be okay for me but there could be somebody living around the corner for me who that's literally you know is not payable for them so how do we ensure those people are cared for more than the likes of us who can survive to a certain amount um, with, with these prices increasing mm. um, but I do think like kind of what you're what you're probably saying there too is like how much thought has gone into these one-off things that then yeah. actually become something that is really important and maybe the third time they have to do it next year yeah. <laughs> and maybe more thought has gone well, into it uh, We've already had a sector into 53106 talking about one of those short-term things that absolutely has become the bedrock of their lives. They're commuting from Drogheda into Dublin by rail and they say that the short hop zone extension is absolutely essential in the budget. Rail fares from Drogheda are painfully unfair. One of the most expensive stretches of railway per mile in the country and it will make a massive difference to the pockets of those in Ireland's largest town. And that I suppose Mick illustrates that when you start doing these one-off things like cutting excise on petrol or VAT on household energy that they become the new normal and yeah. they become then very expensive to, to roll over oh, and, 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 and woe betide some government that decides someday you know what we're going to put 15 cent a litre back on petrol or 20 cent a litre back on unleaded absolutely go all the way back to abolishing rates and re- trying to reintroduce them to water charges what, what happened there like we all <laughs> but before anyone texts by the way yes the universal social charge was supposed to be temporary and yes it's still here yeah, yeah I don't have a problem with universal social charge I think it's actually a good measure but that's neither here nor there mm. but ju- just, just in relation to that and the targeting of things like I mean when you figures came out there earlier this year for the amount of savings there are and how much they've increased over recent years now that's from a section a certain section of society that mm. was able to weather the pandemic better than others those of us who can work from home that sort of thing yeah. people who were paid right through and now after the pandemic we, we have a cost of living crisis where th- those at the lower end of society are getting walloped disproportionately again mm. so you, you kind of a double whammy on both sides yet the response is not to target that at the lower end and hopefully those who are able to save more money okay it's obviously annoying as you say but at least there's to be some equity in terms of how the state deals with the matter instead you have this universal approach to things and as well what, what's in consideration there is they're aiming at the heart of the electorate mm. rather than dealing with what's best for the whole of society yeah like would you prefer less talk about the squeezed middle you know I feel like I get so tired of that for it's like, yeah. well, actually, squeeze middle are kind of grand. It's the people who are below the squeeze middle who are really, really being squeezed. Mm. And like, I find that almost kind of insulting, I would imagine, if you're listening to these conversations and you're like, well, I'm the one actually struggling yeah. here. Well, here's a question then. Are landlords the squeezed middle? And what do you make of this idea of having tax credits to landlords at a time when their properties have never been worth as much? It almost kind of made me laugh because it was such an own, like, is it an own goal? Is that the wrong, the wrong phrase? Maybe it's the wrong phrase. But it's like, why would you do that? Like, that looks so bad to 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 prioritise landlords above the, the well, renters, right? You would do it. Go, you would do it because if property prices have never been as high as they are and people are fearing another recession and they fear another Fair. property crash that they yeah. want to cash out at the highest point which is why so many landlords are leaving Fair I, to- I totally get it on a practical basis but on a kind of optics basis if you know what I mean like it, I think people criticise the government for prioritising the, the landlords above the renters all the time so why would you bring why would you kind of leak the fact that you were going to help the landlords before you'd, you'd kind of help the people who are actually going to be affected by being evicted for example if these mm. landlords leave people are going to be evicted um, and it's a real struggle to get rent um, at the rent, rental places at the moment I mean mm. the daft the latest daft.ie report was out there during the week so I don't know it just it feels like a really strange thing uh, to announce I mean I do think that 
we can use the landlord as this like one type of person who you know only like has one particular type of life earns this amount of money is this kind of you know a cipher of a person when actually landlords are take many different forms a lot of people they might be you know they might inherit a house and they might not just be able to live there etc so you don't want to to cast them in in the role of of a kind of a monster or whatever but I do think that if you're going to come out and say we want to help the landlords you have to balance that immediately with how do we help the renters who are going to be having the major issues when they don't have anywhere to live and they're already being already struggling Uh, they've only got one billion euro to go for for all new tax measures and (laughs) if you have to split it between the tenants and the landlords yeah that's true and um, Ian Guider is an interesting column in the business post about this but absolutely as Aoife is saying and I think one of the base basic things that has to be done in terms of tenants is extending uh, leases for the likes of 10 years at the very minimum which is what you see in in mainland Europe and that sort of thing now there may well be a case to this extent the the small landlord the so-called mom and pop landlord their tax treatment is completely different to that of the big big real estate Mm -hmm. bodies that get away with pure murder Mm -hmm. in this respect and therefore you can understand on that level but the the, the whole issue of I, I think a certain amount of it is down to the fact that some landlords feel they have less control over their properties because tenants rights have been strengthened but you have to strengthen tenants rights yeah. if we're going to have a culture whereby renting is no longer largely a transitory thing and that some people are going to be renting for years and years simply because property is unaffordable mm. so you have to have a scenario whereby if there are any incentives to keep landlords in there they have to be matched with strengthening further tenants rights and ensuring that it's a situation that suits both to the best um, I don't know which of the two of you uh, wants to take this but we uh, I'm going to take a nap break in a couple of minutes but there's so much written about energy security and the prospect of air grid as, as the Mail on Sunday leads today not buying emergency electricity last week when it was told um, there's an interesting piece in uh, the Sunday Times uh, I think it's Sunday so sorry no excuse me it's in the business post I think about the the Green Party um, having some concerns such concerns about LNG terminal actually make a come to yourself on this because it's in your native part of the world this um, LNG terminal uh, which is proposed times, yeah. uh, for, for county carriers in Sunday Times um, and the prospect of uh, the Green Party suggesting that maybe it needs to reconsider its entire role in government if LNG was to be given the go ahead now Look, albeit for the Greens to decide their own role and to decide what what is best for them and for the country, but one would think at a time of such acute energy shortages, which weren't foreseen when the programme for government was negotiated, that you have to have something of an open mind about any solution. Yeah, and to be fair, that thing of reconsidering their their place in government, that was said by Nessa Horrigan, a Mm. Green Party MP who currently, I think, is outside the whip because of of a vote. But... There is an issue there as far as the Greens are concerned and that's a fear that any such storage facility in the Shannon Basin would be used to store fracked gas. Now, the position from Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael is um, yes, we'll have it there but we won't, we, we'll, we'll take their word for it that it isn't mm. fracked gas and the Greens have an issue like that. The one thing I think that does arise in the current context, particularly the global context, is is it a question of our old friend there from the pandemic, the, the perfect being the enemy of the good? Mm. I mean... Is it worse that there is gas being stored that we're told is not fracked? And, you know, there is an element, there is an aspect of that over whether or not you take that at their word. But is that worse than further use of fossil fuels, particularly in a scenario whereby there's an issue over energy security? I'm not sure, but I, I certainly don't think it's something that uh, anybody should li- li- mm. live and die on, so to speak. You can you understand know? either stance, uh, Aoife, yeah. can't you? Because there's, you know, if we are in circumstances where you could be looking at rolling blackheads this winter, yeah. if gas from, you know, a lot of people don't want any fossil fuels at all. But, you know, there was a time, and I've put it to Eamon Ryan sitting in this studio before, there was a time where he would have opposed the development of the carb 
gas field. Yeah. And now we're damn glad that we have it. When yeah. the shortages like there are and that maybe the perfect can't be the enemy of the good. Yeah, I think it does go back to what you're saying there, like what Mick said, the perfect being the enemy of the good. And like, ideally, you know, I'm sure the Greens would love everything to be exactly a kind of above board and exactly what they'd like it to be. But there's a lot of compromise that has to be come to now when it comes to our electricity supplies or energy supplies in Ireland. And like the, the discussion as well, when you talk with the LNG terminal and you mention words like fracked gas, that obviously gets people's kind of hackles up. So yeah. for good reason. Mm. Um, and I think that there's going to be generally those kind of public concerns around things like that. But I do agree with you that if it comes down to it, sometimes we actually will end up relying on those things like the carb gas to, yeah. to save us at a time when we have unprecedented things happening. So perhaps preparing for the future is part of it. But I can understand why they might be a little bit itchy about, mm. you know, being seen to be signing off on things like this. Uh, the squeezed middle have spoken at 53106. Whoa there, <laughs> says one texter. The squeezed middle are getting creased. Childcare on top of bills is insane. That's, that's preach, it, preach it, brother. Childcare on top of bills is insane. It's more expensive than a mortgage. Yep, can vouch for that. We are right on the line. No yeah. holidays, no fancy cars. And we both work in well-paid semi-state jobs is that texter and somebody else says I'm so tired of commentators making clever talk about how bad our politicians are performing why on God's earth aren't you holding them in over their coals and demanding that they justify their behaviour political commentators are weak and by not standing up to politicians you are compliant in their behaviour let me just tell you unnamed texter that we can provide you with a list the length of our arms about all the ministers that we asked to invite it on into this week's programme and they're either on leave which they're entitled to or they're unavailable which we have to take them at their word at as well it is not for the want of asking them to come on and account for themselves uh, and if any in the many ministers are listening right now uh, you have my number we can set something up uh, do let me know if you want to have a chat at any point uh, between now and one o'clock a lot of texts coming in about the budget one person says I am well paid a homeowner and I've willingly paid all taxes as we all have a collective benefit I would like to pay less of course but any budget giveaways must equally benefit short term needs and long term needs of the country which will give return in the future for everyone fair play to that egalitarian texter yeah. that's a nice outlook to have like uh, somebody else says childcare costs have to be addressed when you have a situation where parents are working solely to pay for childcare, something is badly wrong there. It's costing a lot of people to work and that is wrong. Jimmy in Dublin 7 says a good percentage of TDs are landlords. They have a vested interest in helping out the landlords, don't they? Which is uh, reasonable. I mean, I'd like to think the TDs are more egalitarian than thinking about that, but yeah, reasonable point. Uh, media again doing the cuckoo funds bidding, says one texter. They pay zero income tax and capital gains tax. They don't and won't give 10-year leases like mom and pop will be forced into to get tax relief. I think McClifford did, in fairness, point out uh, yeah. that they, they, uh, mom and pop landlords have an entirely different uh, tax treatment than, than those at an industrial level. Uh, and one texture, final one for now. Hi Gavin, do your guests not realise that one of the best ways to help tenants is to help landlords, aka stop them fleeing the market and no issue strengthening tenants' rights as long as you up their responsibilities too. No problem giving someone a 10-year lease because it's an investment, stable return's a good thing, but why would a landlord do that if a tenant can stop paying rent, wreck the place and cannot be evicted? This is a texter. Uh, 53106 for your text on the record NT is our hashtag on Twitter. Uh, one story which I said we were going to get back to as I was doing my tour of the front page a little earlier this hour uh, is on the front page of the Business Post where we we're reminded that the Green Party wanted a programme, a, a commitment in the programme for government to examine reducing speed limit and the prospective climate impact of doing that. Maybe you might have lower emissions if you were all to drive uh, by lesser speeds on motorways. Um, research has been carried out by Transport Infrastructure Ireland that has now been handed over to the Department of Transport. And it has something of a counterintuitive finding, uh, Aoife Barry, in that if you cut speed limits... More people die on the roads, apparently. I'm sorry for laughing, but not, we were talking about this earlier. This didn't make sense to us, so... I was read, you know, reading through it, I mean, so yeah, let me just explain what it says. That basically they said they looked, Transport Infrastructure Ireland basically looked at this proposal to reduce the, the speed limit from 120 kilometres per hour to 110 kilometres. So it's only 10 uh, kilometres that the Greens want it reduced by as a means of reducing emissions. What they did was 
they looked at five different scenarios. So like not just that particular one, but ones where you might like reduce about 30 kilometres an hour, etc. on all national roads. That's obviously where it would kick in. So they found that the relationship between the rate of emissions and the speed of a vehicle, the speed of vehicle is travelling is non-linear. So, um, you know, the emissions are highest at low speeds, while the optimum speed range for vehicles is basically around 50 to uh, 50 kilometres per hour to 90 kilometres an hour okay. in terms of benefiting the emissions. Grand. But when they get to this idea that there could be between 29 to 217 additional collisions a year because of reducing the, the speed limit. I couldn't make head or tail of this. They say that it's brought about by a portion of traffic avoiding the higher quality and safer but now slower national roads network in favour of more direct but less safe routes. So they're just so presuming people will take different roads and drive worse they're and They're presuming that if the speed limit on a motorway was reduced by a marginal amount the people would not take motorways yes. and exactly. they would drive on lesser quality roads and, and that would result in more and, and there would be So you're saying that if you are driving back to Cork yeah. to home to go and see the family that you're not going to be taking the M7 and it's then the a, M9 it's you're, a 10 and you're driving back to Kerry you're not going to be taking the motorways you're going to be driving all the back roads through Salmons and everywhere else on the way down Mitchell's saying because you want to avoid a, yeah. a slower motorway. It, it, it reminds me, Gavin, you talk about transport. I remember people, people of a certain age won't mm. even remember the toll bridge in the M50 when that was not automatic. Mm. You literally had queues going back a mile, sometimes even two miles to queue up to pass yeah. the toll. Mm. A study was done into it by, I think, the National Toll Roads or whatever, that came to the conclusion the issues with queues was not the toll bridge, it was the exits from the M50. You can get a report to say absolutely anything you want. Mm. This is a brilliant piece of work from the point of view. One has to assume that those who commissioned the report, um, the Trans- Nash- what is it, Transport Authority, Transport Infrastructure, Infrastructure Ireland, Ireland. Yeah. Ireland yeah. are quite happy with the results. I mean, they find it will cost £3.8 billion over 30 years. So, you know, like that's that cost is spread out a bit. I mean, how, 10 how so, sir? What, what are the economic costs of making people drive slower? I don't understand what, how costs I arise from that at all. I have literally... No clue. Um, They just basically said the economic costs range from 255 million over 30 years and the lowest reduction scenario to 3.8 billion and the highest reduction scenario. Be be interesting to know what the Road Safety Authority think of that. Big time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure we're likely to see some uh, some response from them in the the press in the coming days. Uh, Brian has been in touch on Twitter. He says it's staggering to hear Gavin Riley conflate the generation energy crisis, which is real and acute, and the gas supply crisis, which is not an issue. How will an LNG terminal help us generate more electricity? Getting gas into the country is not a problem the bottleneck is turning that plentiful gas into electricity which is a fair point and it's a fair criticism that I'm conflating gas shortages with household blackouts and electricity generation that is completely a fair point I suppose what I was doing was was uh, although not making the distinction pointing out that there's also the prospect of there being you know um, heating blackouts and gas shortages to the point where there might not be any gas supply at all for a lot of people to heat their homes this winter but it's a fair criticism that I shouldn't be treating the two as being uh, one and the same and thank you for getting in touch uh, on the record NT uh, is our hashtag on Twitter Anthony says let's get real here why would any of our ministers come on the show and explain their own ineptitude at handling any of the problems of housing rents property prices hospital waiting Etc. 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 Texters are on fire today. Te- the hot weather has everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> listen, it. listen. If the hot weather is getting anyone emotive, then, then uh, so be it. Um, there is a lot written, and it's a funny phenomenon. Uh, sometimes when you have weeks that don't have as much uh, news spontaneously emerging, that different papers go off and do features. And sometimes you get this phenomenon the different papers have gone away and done very similar features at the same time. And it's happened again this week, Mick, with a couple of papers all doing different analysis pieces about Sinn Féin and its slow um, thawing of relations with establishment bodies like IBEC and the likes. And even an unlikely meeting between David Cullen and Anne 
and Mary Harney, who would not be considered natural no, identical. I found that fans. fascinating, yeah. Gavin has to say. Like, to be fair, Sinn Féin are heading towards power. They've, they have a very controversial uh, background and therefore they're going to be scrutinised, particularly as it seems they're a completely different party from the one they were 20 years ago and that they seem to be tiptoeing to the middle all the time. They're driven by a populist ethic whereby you promise everything for everybody and therefore it's going to be scrutinised. Having said all that, they also produce a lot of good policies and mm. bread and butter issues yeah. and David Cullinan is somebody who took over the health portfolio after the last general election um, from my observation of him I have to say he seems like a serious dude that in terms of uh, trying to tackle what delighted that. we'll have that on the Twitter bio now serious uh, dude oh Christ <laughs> <laughs> take that back anyway he does seem to be, be get, trying to get a handle on what is a hugely complex area absolutely no doubt and it also has to be said that Mary Harney and I'm, I'm certainly very sure that David Cullen and Mary Harney are from the opposite ends of the political spectrum mm. notwithstanding that she was somebody who came in with serious intent and one of her huge successes and one of the huge successes of health in the last 30 years is the adoption of the National Cancer Strategy which took a lot of political uh, heat at mm. the time and one might well say that in other hands may not not have actually reached the stage it did. So quite obviously, Cullinan sees her as somebody who achieved something notwithstanding their differences. But it is extremely interesting that we've got to a point where a Sinn Féin health spokesperson is meeting a progressive Democrat, albeit retired leader of the progressive Democrats, to find out uh, mm. what's the best way forward. Mm. <laughs> There's probably two ways, uh, there's a couple of ways of uh, looking at all of this. Eve. You could argue that maybe it's presumptuous of Sinn Féin to be holding all these meetings because, of course, power is not assured and even they will tell you that mm. opinion polls are one thing but you have to actually go out and then yeah. work for those votes to make them happen. But on the other hand, if you do consider them to be very likely participants in the next government, that you wouldn't want them going in from a standing start, that it makes a huge amount of sense to have working relationships and to be able to pick the brains of people who have walked the walk before so that you know what you're heading into. Yeah, especially when they get criticised a lot over their policies and get criticised and told, are you not doing the sums right or you haven't done this, you've forgotten about this, or you don't have a climate policy, um, etc. So they want to look as serious as possible. And, you know, we can assume that uh, from the outside the people from different uh, opposing political parties might not have relationships and might not speak or might not get on but look they're all part of the same game it makes sense for you know former members of government to chat to them to kind of let them let their brains be picked particularly if it puts them in positions where they're showing off what they achieved yeah. um, you know and it makes Sinn Féin look good and it informs their you know different TDs um when they meet people to find out how things actually did work in government and what people were able to do. And I thought in Business Post there's a good quote from Mary Harney where she apparently told David Cullinan after their meeting in Buswell's, she said, um, apparently he asked her what she thought would be the biggest challenge facing Sinn Féin if it got into power. And she said, with a knowing smile, apparently, um, I wonder if this journalist, you know, sitting on the couch <laughs> behind them taking a look. I'm sure not, but anyway. Well, it's Buswell's, so it's not uh, exactly yeah, the most secretive place to, to go to. Yeah. Over here. Uh, she said, delivering after all of your overpromising and I mean yeah, that's, that's not just key. for Sinn Féin that's key for yeah. every part it, it of is, it is, government particularly for Sinn Féin it is particularly you know? for Sinn Féin in this regard and the other aspect to Sinn Féin in government that will be very interesting to observe that's on the assumption they are in government after the next election is to what extent they will attempt and to what extent they'll be successful hmm. to blame those who came before them for the inability to deal with what are some intractable problems. Mm. There's no yeah. doubt about it. They will make a difference and, you know, it'll be something different mm. from what we've had before. But there are some intractable problems that they are claiming are relatively easy solutions fix, yeah. for. Well, albeit that they need two terms to do it. Oh, that's the other Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so. but the, but the, you could also make an argument that um, Sinn Féin are trying to have their cake and eat it by still professing certain things publicly while then also meeting up with 
with employers groups and actually trying to smooth over things and say actually we're not going to be as disruptive as as might be perceived by some of our statements is, is there there reasonable merit to that criticism oh no no question but I mean that's on one facet of it on another uh, publicly they're as they're leading uh, politicians describe themselves as centre left or left populism and at the same time they're professing admiration for dictatorships like uh, Cuba uh, prior to the the outbreak of war they were relatively soft on Russia uh, that kind of thing so I mean there's an awful lot there behind the scenes mm. and that is one personally I would have slight concern as to the like, like the old um, Brian Friel play uh, here Philadelphia I come private garden public garden mm. I would have uh, slight concerns as to what exactly the true nature of things are notwithstanding massive changes they've gone through over the last 20 or 30 years uh, we were speculating as to why people might avoid motorways um, if the speed limit was reduced a little bit uh, we've got a couple of texts that actually might might shed some light on that someone just simply says uh, why would people choose to pay a toll on a low speed motorway when the old N routes are toll free um, which is an interesting question because right now as it stands if you put in Dublin to Cork uh, on Google Maps it'll tell you that the shortest journey is 2 hours and 48 minutes but if you want to avoid tolls then the shortest journey is only 3 hours and 9 minutes so you're only adding 20 minutes to the journey and one presumes that the, the quicker motorway option wouldn't be quite as quick if there were to be a lower speed limit yeah, on but, it. so maybe lower, but also the, the secondary routes you'll have more traffic on yeah. it and instead of being 3 hours and 9 minutes it might uh, be yeah, it could be longer, yeah. so someone else is looking into my brain after I spent a few hours on the N5 uh, on Friday they'd be better off actually enforcing the speed limit that exists already seriously I drive to the limit at all times and the number of cars etc that overtake at considerable speed is unreal says that person uh, it's a total joke uh, yeah. the person who was in touch earlier on saying why don't we haul the politicians over the hot coals has been back in touch asking us to name every politician or institution who will not answer for their behaviour each and every time frankly Bill um, we've only got an hour and 20 minutes left <laughs> in the programme so uh, we don't have enough time to get through it all and oh. um, Someone on, on the whole uh, question of landlords. I used to be a, quote, evil landlord, their quotes, in Galway City. A modern two-bed apartment for €750 Euro a month. I got the hell out of it and it was one of the best decisions ever. Tax to the hilt, fees and bureaucracy to beat the band, management fees, and particularly the prospect of Sinn Féin getting into power where the rights of landlords will be totally annihilated by the populist parties and a persistent vilification in the media, says this person. Good luck, I'm off after selling my asset that I bought, uh, which is that person's perspective. And I know from someone else who works in, in housing outreach and in, in homelessness charities, I know that they're saying that anecdotally an awful lot of people are selling up their properties now, particularly because they think, as I said earlier on, that there is another recession coming and that mm. they fear the price of their asset going that down. That is the thing rather than any change of government. I think it's, it's, yeah. it's getting out at the top of the market is what a lot of them are doing. Recently travelled the N7 on the Sunday of Limerick's All-Ireland Hurling semi-final says one texter 50 kilometres an hour the whole way then I got onto the old N7 barely a car on it speed limit there 100 kilometres an hour. In fact, you know, maybe the or the whole way yeah on, on on the motorway bit I presume they mean and then they got onto the old N7 the semi-final. I, I didn't see that many Limerick people in the <laughs> yeah. semi-final maybe, maybe the issue here as well is we've got a 100 kilometre speed limit on a, on a kind of a narrow local on these kind of local roads well, and of course you're going like well of course the presumption of course those. is that if you're lowering the speed limit on a motorway you're probably got, from 120 to 110 you're probably also lowering the hundreds back to 90 so yeah, the, the slower route as, as well as being more populated the slower route might also have a lower speed limit as well so hmm. maybe it all kind of they should set up a on. commission that would go on to a people's assembly that could decide yeah, whether or not uh, we should uh, advance then, the notion then any it, further then it exactly. can be referred to a retired judge and then <laughs> yeah, the statutory yeah, commission yeah. into whether we do it and then the <laughs> ultimate government can just ignore yeah. it and do whatever they want to anyway yeah. um, the front page of the business post is a story which I said we'd come back to which I find fascinating which is that big tech firms in Dublin 
are now looking to sublet huge amounts of their office space because they've become surplus to requirements, presumably due to a combination of some of their own restructuring, scaling back their plans for recruitment, and of course the advent of people working from home, which means that you need fewer desks in your office to accommodate those who are actually coming into the office. Um, Killian Woods reports today in the Business Post that last week, for example, TikTok pulled out of talks to lease 177,000 square feet of space at uh, Marla Property Group's shipping office in Dublin's Docklands. Meta has also halted the fit out of part of its new campus in Ballsbury. When you think about how much of Dublin city centre between the canals, Eva, has become reserved or the preserve of mm. big tech and, and yeah. how there's certain parts of the Docklands which are now almost just universally large tech companies and nobody else. The idea that they now might have bitten off more than they can chew in terms of real estate and how much they need could be a pretty stark warning about what's about to come down the line. Yeah, it's really interesting to see because I think nobody knew, obviously, the pandemic's going to happen. Nobody knew when they were, you know, taking out the big leases on these big office spaces that they would be forced into a, a point of time where they'd have to send all of their employees home, right? So it's not like, you know, this did literally come out of the blue. But I think, you know, there was maybe an assumption that after things settled down, um, you know, once the lockdowns and everything ha- had ended, because obviously the, the COVID hasn't gone away, um, that things would settle back in and that employees we were hearing were being told by some of the bigger firms that they had to start coming into the office more. So the assumption then was that, yeah, the offices would be used a bit more. But the fact that some of them are actually subletting or in the case of TikTok are turning down leases that we're going to take mm. really does raise questions about like the use of space in big cities. I mean, you can't be a fortune teller, but at the same time, there has to be the question of how much space should they be, maybe be allowed to take up in this in this part of you know period of time? And how does that benefit or not the locals? I mean, if you talk to people living down in the so-called Silicon Docks area, you know, more and more they'll say as the years went on, they got less and less you know, back from the fact that this development was happening in that area where they're living. Mm. So they're not being benefited. You know, the number of social housing and say, uh, you know, apartments that are being built in the areas because of those tech companies, the number of social housing is being dropped from like 20 to 10%, for example, in recent years. So the locals and people living there aren't really necessarily benefiting. And now we're wondering if they're subletting it, what's going to happen in the future? Are maybe some of those companies going to decide we don't need these particular buildings? And then you have these empty shells of offices. Mm. Are there enough um, businesses around the city to come and move into those areas mm. when more of us are working from home? Um, it's really interesting to see. I mean, it could be, like you say, a harbinger of, of yeah. doom in, or, in one way. Or would you be looking at this belated then conversion mix uh, into residential property? Because evidently someone has got the mix in the planning system. Someone has got the mix drastically wrong where they decided yeah. that a certain yeah. amount of floor space was going to be devoted to corporate use and a certain amount, therefore, not to housing use. And Absolutely, like that that mix may have been completely wrong. Yeah, and the, the other aspect to that is, apart from the office space itself, presumably if a large amount of this is down to people working from home and a huge number of um, the tech employees come in from abroad, therefore is there more housing stock here that are, that otherwise would have been taken up by people coming to work for these mm. companies, you know that. But but as in terms of the office space, that's I think uh, Gavin is a prime example of in other countries particularly in the European mainland, for instance, mm-hmm. there would immediately be efforts to convert that into domestic dwellings. For some reason, we're going to find 10 different reasons why that can't be done here, because that yeah, seems to be the way. Any kind of innovation, any notion that we're in an emergency and therefore drastic measures have to be taken that otherwise wouldn't be taken, or to use that phrase, thinking outside the box, for some reason, 
it is not being applied. We, we, there's this fear there, isn't there, that we are so kind of enthralled in some ways. And when I say we, I mean, I don't mean every single person in this country, but generally there's kind of, Ireland can tend to be enthralled to these big, massive companies because of what they represent in terms of kind of, you know, In terms of the economy, the economy and the whole economic and model. Jobs. Yeah, and obviously they yeah. create great jobs for people. You know, we all have friends, I'm sure, who work for different driven tech giants. There's so many benefits there. But then that can that stymie that idea of what you're saying there, of thinking outside, outside the box. And are we changing our city and the Docklands, which is such an interesting history, um, into this area that's now full of these glass boxes and that won't be nothing interesting will be done with them in time it, it's something mm. that will really and a transitory time community be, too because yeah, they're feeling massive. the settled community staying there and that. Yeah. so yeah. all of that you know it's it definitely changed in the way one way or the other it's just a question of can we make it a positive change in some exactly. way yeah, speaking of uh, following the lead of other countries uh, one person has been in touch Angus has used on the record NT as our hashtag to say drive slower we should increase the motorway speed limit to the EU standard of around 130 kilometres an hour emissions reduction is minuscule and it's just waste to annoy drivers says that person and I suppose if you consider as the business post says that cutting uh, the speed limit from 120 to 110 might uh, reduce emissions by 0.7% it, it doesn't seem like a huge amount and, and maybe there might be a case for going down that autobahn route but look at if, if vehicles are, are inefficient if they just simply burn uh, more energy by by getting there that bit quicker you know every little helps in a climate crisis so I don't know whether there might be much of an aptitude for that um, Dara has been in touch in 53106 and he says that we'd save a lot of fuel and the planet if we put speed limiters on uh, car make X and car make Y he names them but I won't because they might get libeled uh, those guys never obey the speed limit always driving in your boot uh, says Dara um, so do let us know your thoughts 53106 um, speaking of accommodation um, it is very difficult to look beyond something which we mentioned last week in the newspaper review but is mentioned in a little bit more detail today um, in the Sunday Times about the challenge that's facing Ukrainian refugees who have spent the summer living on campus accommodation in various universities around the country, Mick, and are now looking at the situation where they're going to be uh, asked to move because naturally students are coming back to colleges, they're going to need that accommodation. And those Ukrainian refugees now find themselves with not many other options to turn to. It's huge. Uh, people are having, people are, we're now at a stage where people are living in tents. We're in the middle of the summer. What's that going to be like come the autumn and winter? Where are people going to be put up? I mean, Again, we're talking about efficiencies. I just speaking to somebody yesterday, a friend of mine in Dublin, another friend in Roscommon and somebody in Cork. Three people uh, relative, relative to the general situation, you know, comfortable enough mm. uh, houses, all offered to um, put it, take in Ukrainians going back to last April. Nothing has been done in terms of approaching them. And I suspect... Haven't been approached at all. There might have been an initial yeah. approach, okay. but it was not advanced. So it wasn't the case that their their place had been checked out by the Red Cross and that they didn't believe no. that it was it no. was appropriate no. under certain conditions. No. And didn't they get just to the stage. Been None of that, and it didn't get to the stage of guard of vetting, which is another issue in itself, mm. or any of that. And you know, there have also been a huge number of people who've withdrawn their initial offer. Fair enough, but I still think there are a lot of people out there, and yet. It's it's just not being it's just not being done efficiently. It would seem that's not yeah. the answer to everything. But yeah. it just it's one one of the. I mean, things need to be ramped up. We're here talking about this. This is a major crisis for students within the next four or five weeks. Yeah, and there's been very little done about it. And if you look as well at that that story um, in the Sunday Times about the people who are living in student accommodation in Manus, just one one example of where some people are living who've come over from Ukraine after the invasion. One particular family they talked to have stayed at four different places since they came to Ireland. So. They stayed at the City West Transit Hub in a hotel with a host family and now in that accommodation and they're going to be moved again. Mm. And that, uh, you know, 
that is just so hard to get your head around that people are fleeing an invasion and then don't have that sense of home in any shape or form. Um, and that 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 idea that we kind of have this these kind of temporary fixes, um, and even people living in people's homes might turn out to be a temporary fix in a lot yeah, of cases. Yeah. But at mm. least it gives people, I suppose, that sense of being being in a home. Um, it is a major issue. I think I saw in another newspaper the other day that there are issues of people coming in under international protection. They're going to have to stay in tents, uh, temporary tent accommodation. Um, not people who are coming from from Ukraine. Mm. So we're running into issues there too. Um, this is, you know, it's kind of troubling to think of how people are going to be living over the next few months um, yeah. and the questions that are there for them. It's about a month since Leo Varadkar said that the state was in the latter stages of negotiations to secure another site uh, somewhere in Dublin that was sort of akin to a city west, another mm. kind of a turnkey thing where they'd have accommodation in bulk. I wonder what ever happened to those talks because it's a few mm. weeks on now and you would have expected it all to be And that's, remember, that's just a processing yeah. Yeah. as much as anything as well. Even um, Owen O'Malley is actually writing on this topic in the Sunday Independent today and he, he makes the argument that you know a lot of homes that could house refugees are not being made available by hurdles that we seem to be imposing on ourselves he says uh, while the rules might all make sense you'd wonder for instance on what basis homes have been rejected by the Irish Red Cross as being unsuitable surely they couldn't be any worse than having to live in a tented village well, he that's says. a fair point yeah. you know I mean it's again we're talking the perfect the enemy the good sort of stuff you yeah. know well no we don't know that for a fact but there has to be some reasons behind it would seem certainly that a large number of offers have not been taken up yeah, um, one thing to be fair, we probably should note if we're going to talk about um, colleges and having to remove people from on-campus accommodation, I know that certainly UCD for one, because I've been getting the phone calls, have been trying to call up people who are on their own list of alumni, asking them if they could sort out a digs arrangement or if they basically were capable of accommodating people that are residing on campus in UCD right now who need to be removed because they need the accommodation and back. Colin so Murphy makes that point in the Sunday into a boat oh. digs. That they're, they're, they're unfashionable definitely at the moment, but is there, is there a case to be made that there's more effort to get people into digs? And again, and it's not, but if you incentivise people who have a spare bedroom, uh, empty nesters, whatever, mm. you know, if 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 there's yeah. various incentives, does that help out with the accommodation crisis then as well? Uh, we should take just a moment before we do wrap up to discuss the attack uh, in the last couple of days on Salman Rushdie. Quite a lot of uh, commentary in today's papers about the, the nature of the suspect, the fact that he's been charged with uh, attempted murder and appears to have uh, denied those charges. Um, if in a way it's nearly more striking that, that all of this has happened so long after uh, Salman Rushdie first came to public prominence because of the yeah. publication of the Satanic Verses and that's something which he may have thought now was, was in his past it would seem maybe has come back again in quite a vengeance Yeah like I remember so so strongly from when I was a kid everything that happened around around then the fatwa that was issued all the talk about the the fact that he'd gone to hiding that his translator his Japanese translator was, was killed as mm. well that this kind of um, this cloud that followed him around and that he had to go into hiding and there was that sense that as the decades passed that things had kind of calmed down a bit that even though there wasn't an official announcement that this fatwa was removed or anything that Salman Rushdie was kind of back out in the world a little bit and mm. he was obviously like he was the other day doing a public interview he had spoken about the fact that you know you kind of have to live his life and not, not think about the, the terrible things that can happen but it really does show that I mean the person who's been um, charged with attempted murder is 24 years old so you're not talking about a person who was an adult at the time yeah. this all happened this is a person who's a child and the fact that this still exists now in that person's mind that they presumably uh, were motivated in some sense by what happened back then is very scary and troubling because you're wondering what's kind of going on that we don't uh, know about and also for authors for people in the public eye who might find themselves criticised by certain regimes or by certain groups there will definitely be a lot of worry I would think around um, you know future literary events in the US particularly yeah. there's going to be you're going to see a scaling up I would think um, of security I mean that event seemed like it happened in a very pleasant place a very pleasant crowd yeah. and there clearly wasn't a major fear that he would be 
targeted in such a way and you know apparently he might lose his eye yeah um he's very serious injuries but he is awake and i think breathing off yes, the ventilator yeah, the fact that he's off the ventilator and he's now able to speak which is at least good news uh, obviously yeah. we'll hope for for a swift and full recovery for him um, Aoife barry assistant news editor at the journal.ie and mick clifford special correspondent with the irish examiner thank you both very much for joining us on the record with gavin riley sunday morning at 11 brought to you by pwc combining talent and technology we're hardwired to find solutions it all adds up to the new equation on News Talk.